0: Last three weeks, uh, we've been exploring the role of the prophets in the calling of the people of Israel back to their one true love. They were often given the task of announcing uh, bad news and calling the people to repent and turn uh, back to God. However, at the same time, there's a contrast. They were also called to announce hope to the people. Last week, we learned how Isaiah used his gifts as prophet and poet to speak to the people. And these prophets, they strewn throughout the Bible uh, this message. There are prophets today. Melanie sharing her call with us, and that is available to us. Well, today we are looking at uh, two prophets, Habakkuk and Jeremiah. Okay, so the next couple minutes, for a minute, I want to give you a spoiler alert. So put that in your brain. This past Wednesday evening, I went to see the movie 1917. If you plan to see that movie, plug your ears. By the way, it is rated R2, there is a lot of bloodshed and war, graphic war scenes. It's set in France during World War I. Two British soldiers, Corporals Blake. And Schofield are given the order to carry a communication to the 2nd Battalion on the front lines. British intelligence has learned that what looks like a retreat by the Germans is a trick. And these two soldiers must get this message to the commanding officer and warn him before the Brits attack that day. They go through hell. It's horrible to see. Trenches, barbed wire in no man's land, dead bodies, burning towns, getting shot at by snipers. Blake is killed and he dies in the arms of his friends. And Schofield is devastated, but he refuses to give up and he continues his journey. He jumps for his life into a raging river and he swims through masses of dead bodies. And he finally climbs and crawls up over those dead bodies onto the shore. So, so traumatic. And he has no idea where he's at. He thinks he's somewhere near to where he needs to deliver this message. And he feels like he has failed his mission to stop that massacre. And in that moment, the climax of the movie, he just has a breakdown and he weeps on his knees and he cries. And he's in hopelessness. He's in an impossible situation. So freeze that in your mind's eye. Judea and Israel come to the point, and we hear through the message of the Bible, that they are in that state of hopelessness. Evil kings, disobedience, a nation... uh, Therefore the northern kingdom of evil they see it it's destroyed by the Assyrians and massacre occurs it was judgment that has been building for years. And Judah lasts longer and has some good kings. Hezekiah brings reform through a much needed spiritual revival. We see people coming back to God. And so you, even if you go to Jerusalem today, you can walk through the tunnel that he had built to bring water in the city during a siege. It's an engineering marvel, and he is followed though by his son Manasseh, who said to have done more evil in the sight of the Lord than any other king, and so we see that happening, good, evil, and those waves, and he fills Jerusalem with innocent blood from one end to another, and you can see why there is such hopelessness It fills the land. And the people. God continues to send prophets to warn the people of impending judgment if they don't uh, let, it go, let go and die to these habitual evil ways. They predict a, a great day of the Lord's coming, a day of judgment, and they'll be swept away from the face of the earth. And it seems like no one's listening to this. One of these prophets that comes is Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk, I always Habakkuk, so I always get that throat in there. You heard Melanie mention the impact of the prophet's writing upon her life and the experiences that Habakkuk had, and you see it. And here's the difference between the typical prophet and Habakkuk: he's not mad at the people; he's ticked at God. He's like, I look around at my world and I see wrongdoing and trouble, Lord. Destruction and violence. Wickedness and evil seem to be winning the day. Why, God? Why does this occur? Just yesterday, and yesterday was a great day. And it just filled me full of hope. Uh, Super Bowl men's breakfast. Sold out. Packed. Bobby Carpenter bringing it. Message. Faith and friends on tap. uh, Filled. He shattered a record in attendance. It was, it was awesome. Yesterday, Corey DeRossett, our youth minister and his wife, they got married. I was busting moves out on the dance floor with our, you know, doing my robot and everything from the 80s. The, I was pulling the snowblower and Moe, um, you just come up with the moves, man. You try to dig in there and, and do it. Celebrate it. And it was so cool and it filled my, my life full of hope. But I rewind to Faith and Friends and I was sitting with a couple and their friend who they brought for the very first time. And they had these questions, these same questions as they were trying to understand the theology and understand the, uh, the theology of Anderson Hills and the theology of their pastor. And they were asking the same questions that Habakkuk was asking. They were beat up, seeing evil everywhere. Saying to me, is God really in control, Pastor? If, why, if, he do, if he's not, or if he is, why doesn't he intervene? And we see the same questions rolling out, and it's the same questions that occur throughout the Bible and even in the history of time. Asking the same question, and Habakkuk is looking at his world, and he just can't see God in it. But God answers. In verse five and following, God says, I'm about to do a new thing. I can imagine that Habakkuk's like, oh yes, he's gonna do a new thing here. God says this, I'm gonna use the Babylonians to defeat the wicked people. (laughs) Habakkuk says, our people? What? In verse 13 he says, why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they. And in other words, he's saying, the, the Babylonians, they're worse, man. Come on. You're using wicked, wicked people, way more evil than your people, to destroy them. Don't we see that sometimes? We see people who are ungodly to appear to be more successful than those who are striving to live morally, righteously and godly we ask ourselves that why does it seem wrong triumphs he sees the ruling elite of his country oppressing the poor and the weak and he wonders where God is how long Lord must I call for help but do you listen he says that have you ever asked God that question help help these words are familiar. And listen to this, because it could sound really, really, uh, maybe the match in your brain. Listen to what he says. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife, there's conflict abounding. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And then he challenges God. I will stand at the watch and station myself on the ramparts i will look to see what he will say to me what i ans- answer i am to give to this complaint i think like melanie he really wants to hear god's voice and convey that message and you have to admire his courage god i need an answer this doesn't make any sense to me and he needs clarity for his life to go on as a prophet So it's okay, I think, as I look at Habakkuk and I look at my own brain and see others around me, I think it's okay to do that with God sometimes. He doesn't mind, and he's strong enough to take our criticism. I believe he is. In fact, God wants us to speak to us. And I think as we speak that, it really comes to diminish. And God can fill that with his hope. He replies to the prophet, "Write down the revelation, and I'll make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end, and I will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay." The prophet, he begins in anger with what he sees, and he's angry, but God gives him a vision. Of a world of justice and righteous, and it may tarry a while, but it will come. Hope will come, and it will. And God helps him move from that being in rage to swing over in to God's hope. And right there in judgment of God, God provides that promise. A contemporary of Habakkuk was the prophet Jeremiah. He was called the weeping prophet because rather than using fire and brimstone, he would weep for his people. His heart was broken for his nation. In chapter 9, he says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. In chapter 1, we learn God appointed him to be a prophet, and he is still, in, when he is still in the womb. When he is about 19 or 20, God calls him, but he's reluctant to answer that call and live it out. But he does hear it. He says, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I am too young. And God says, hey, don't say I'm too young. Don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you. And so say, whatever I command you, don't be afraid, Jeremiah. And so for the next 50 years, he warns his nation constantly with that message that they're on the road to disaster, but no one's listening. He's publicly humiliated. They put him in stocks. He's thrown in a cistern and left for dead. And there's false prophets who claim that he is lying and using political pressure to shut him up. He tells the king to surrender to Babylon, who is laying siege to Jerusalem. And he's accused of being a traitor to his country because he's standing up for the Lord. King Zedekiah tried to rebel against the Babylon's rule. And after a two-year siege, Nebuchadnezzar overruns Judea, sacks Jerusalem, tears down the walls, burns the palace, the temple, and much of the city, and takes the population into exile. To Babylon and so within this context there's a book written and it's called Lamentations it is one of the most depressing books in the Bible you won't enjoy reading it but read it make it read it on a happy day <laughs> it's raw with deep sadness in chapter 3 Jeremiah we hear that prophet in deep depression and again Uh, Here God has done this. God has driven me into darkness. God has my flesh. My skin is wasting away. My bones are crushed. And God has put heavy chains on me. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. And we hear that coming from him. And he's at rock bottom. I've heard it said, when you're at rock bottom and face in the mud, turn over. Start to look up. I don't know how you feel today the situations and circumstances around you. Jeremiah, he becomes mindful in his remembrance. And in verse 21, he says this, But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Does that ring an echo of a beloved hymn we have sung? Therefore, I will put my hope in him. What's happened? He has remembrance of God's love. When everything else quits, he remembers God's not a quitter. God's not a quitter on love, and God is a hope giver. Gerald reminds us that in a world there's always hope for the hopeless. We need hope. We do. To be human is to be in trouble. To be human is to experience things in possibly every stage of life. We always look ahead it seems, thinking someday it will get better rather than standing in the present mindful on the firm foundation of his promises that bring hope. I don't know about you, But when I come into corporate worship every Sunday, it fills me with life and hope. And it's it's an injection. It's a transfer into my bank of the existence of my life. And as we worship him and we turn all of our attention upon God, he fills us with his hope so that we can go out these doors into the world and bring hope. And he gives us that hope. Throughout history, people of faith have had to struggle with this issue. And sometimes, you know, we can be out there and and have this danger, and we've seen that maybe with brothers and sisters who who go through these circumstances in life, and they, they leave their faith. They abandon maybe their commitment to God, to Christ Jesus, and they give up on life because it does get tough. The Bible always deals with this issue in a straightforward way and we see it with those who have gone before us. There's no attempt to hide from suffering. No attempt in the Bible to pull any punches to have us see this. The Bible does speak reality and maybe things we don't necessarily want to hear. We tend to think it will never happen to a person of genuine faith, and folks, it will. But isn't that why we have each other? We speak hope to one another. Isn't that why we have corporate worship here, together, you, me? We encourage each other along, say, don't give up. Keep that conduit of hope coming between the body of Christ and you, O Lord does happen but god tells us hope so what is hope so what is the world is hope how do we define it i might say i hope i get super bowl tickets which are running about $5000 if i if i said that you know it thinks of my, i'd be more akin to a wish or a fantasy and it's a subjective feeling but the bible knows nothing of that kind of hope it's not in there do you did you know that hope never appears in the bible as an adverb or an adjective a descriptor, like hopefully, or I'm hopeful, that daydream, wishing kind of hope. In fact, the Bible uses the word hope in such, such an objectively, a certain way, that it virtually is synonymous with it will become in you. It is something that most assuredly will happen. Hope happens. That's biblical hope. That's the hope that we see when we go through the scriptures. It is God-grounded, God-sustained, and God-directed. In fact, the Bible calls God the God of hope, the source of hope, the author of hope, and the Bible teaches us hope. It does not disappoint it is unshakable unsake- confidence. It causes us to rejoice. It gives us holiness. It is an additive of holiness, thrives on trial and sufferings, and rests upon the promises of God. Indeed, there's no hope apart from God in what we are together. Our hope is complete in God and is for us. What are the promises of hope? Well, there are three that we find in Romans chapter 5 that are worth looking at. And look at these together with me. Therefore, we are, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. We boast in our hope of suffering the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And so this hope is is that God gives us peace. So the first thing is that it gives us that supernatural peace. I know a lot of times that my, my peace tries to get wrecked by worry and anxiety and fear that can creep into my life. When our hope is fixed on God, we can obtain the peace that surpasses understanding through the ministry of our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's an alert and a constant expectation and a confident expectation that God will do what he promises to do. It does it in his way, in his time. And it comes in our waiting. It's that kind of calmness that comes from a deep trust that God has firmly rooted in us, a firm foundation in our hope. It's nothing to do, that, not, that, not that nothing bad will ever happen to us, but whatever the outcome, God has not left us or given up on us. That's what makes peace in our heart. The second thing that hope does is it gives us an unshakable confidence In verse 5, it says, Hope does not disappoint us. Hope believes in the future. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Please, it is rated R. It's a prison movie. So, just have discernment when you see that movie. But I love it. It's written by Stephen King. One of my favorite quotes is from Andy Dufresne. And he tells his buddy Red, who at one time just says he's given up on hope, and he tells Andy, Give up on hope. And Andy, in a letter writes to Red after he is freed. He said, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. And then after... Red reads this, he begins to say these beautiful words and he says, you know, I hope the ocean is a, as blue as it is in my dreams. I hope I make it across the border into Mexico. I hope I see my friend and it comes. And it's really powerful. It's touching. It gives me chills. And when a person gives up on that hope and you see that in this movie and, and you see it around you, it can lead to death. It's just a future into nothingness. Maybe you feel that way today. I don't know. Today in your circumstances, presently, God wants us to fix on hope because God embraces that high expectation of the future. And again, I'm not talking about human dreaming or whims or wishes. I'm talking about what is possible in God the Father, Son, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit which gives us hope The next thing is hope gives us endurance. Verse 3 from Romans chapter 5 says that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Notice the order. It's very intentional. St. Paul is talking to Christians. He knows there is suffering and trials for their testimony before the world. But he says endure. I remember running my first half marathon. I don't run full marathons. That guy died, the first guy who ran a full marathon. So I run half marathons. And so around mile 11, my legs were gone. I couldn't feel them. And I started slowing down. This was a flying pig. And I was grunting with cramps. And then right in front of me, it was... It was so cool. It was like as if God gave me this message in the midst and wanted me to finish that race. And on the back of, it was on the back of this guy's t-shirt. It says, "As if you're reading this, press on, endure. I was like, wow. And press on or press through is a military phrase that I always used. It spoke my language and I, I was slowing down, but then I started running again. And it worked. And I didn't stop. I endured, and I went across that finish line. And you know what? That produced some character in me. That was an injection of character. I'll never forget that day. I kept going. And it deepened my hope that Jonathan's body can't actually get through this. And I finished, like I said. And so today, maybe you need to press on in Christ and not give up on God. His promises endure forever. And God could be saying to you today, I've heard you. Trust in my hope. Psalm 130 gives us some much needed advice. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. In his word, I hope. And the psalmist found the ability to endure because he hoped in God. It doesn't suggest some fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks with endurance and character in order to finish that certain stage. Biblical hope is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations or scurrying or worrying. This hope helps us to have a long obedience in the same direction, going and pressing on into God's will for our lives. Hope is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It says... Verse 5, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. It grows in our lives as we surrender and say, fill me, O Lord, with the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And then let the Holy Spirit have his way in our lives. All right, I want to go back to the movie. Schofield is standing on the bank of the river. He's weeping. He feels hopeless. And he slowly manages to walk up the hill, and as he does, he begins to hear singing. He hears this song called Wayfaring Stranger, and you'll hear it being sung during Holy Communion. It's a gospel song. And there's all these men gathered around this one soldier who has his beautiful voice and he's singing it out because they know they're going into that war, that battle. And Scofield realized that he has not failed. He has made it in time after all. I don't know, maybe today you're feeling hopeless. Maybe today you've lost hope in your marriage, you've lost hope maybe in someone in relationship with you, maybe you lost hope in the midst of your job or finding a job or maybe your faith has turned into hopelessness. My friends, God can fill us with his hope, with his hope, whereby we are inserted with that hope in this world and we can become hope givers. And maybe, like Melanie, you have been given a call to prophetically offer hope to someone, some situation, or maybe even just say, hope to yourself. This is God's will. God's will for you to be filled with his own spirit who is the hope giver, an eternal hope that quickens and injects life in you. Yes, you.